faith, the confident assurance of things not seen, reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional thought on God and his promises, positive certainty expressed in action, not merely believing in God, it is believing God. Your faith instinctively strengthens in direct proportion to the expansion of the object of your faith, Jesus Christ. And how does your faith become increasingly stronger? By immersing yourself in the faith-arousing Word of God. Last week, we had three people indicate their faith in Jesus Christ. That they heard what God's Word said, they heard what God said, and they trusted, believed God when He said, you place your faith in Christ, then I'm going to forgive you of your sins, and I'm going to establish a relationship with you that one day will take you to heaven with me. That is faith. And just for clarification's sake, when a person does that, God also says they've been reborn spiritually. And so just like when we're born physically, there's nothing we can do to ensure that we are born physically. It happens, okay? And then we live life, and that shows that we've been born physically. Same exact thing when it comes to salvation, spiritual birth. It's a one-time thing. It's a thing where at that moment in time, we ask God to forgive us of our sins, and he rebirths us spiritually one time for all eternity. We don't have to keep going back and trying to do more stuff to try to ensure that we were spiritually reborn, but then we live life in a new spiritual way. By every step we take, trusting God and His promises and what He's given to us in Jesus Christ. And, and speaking of Jesus Christ, there are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus' first coming, but for every one prophecy for the first coming, there are eight concerning His second coming. Obviously a big deal. In 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to Jesus returning. Jesus said he would be betrayed, and he was. Jesus said he'd be rejected, and he was. Jesus said he'd be crucified, and he was. Jesus said he'd rise again in three days, and he did. Everything Jesus said he was going to do, he ended up doing. He also said that the temple in his day would be destroyed in 40 years. And 40 years later, it was. He said the gospel will go out to every nation before his return. And it, we're almost there. If we're not there yet, we're almost there seeing his gospel going out. He said there would be wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, persecution. We see that every day. And then he said there would be one who will come who controls world powers but then he would come back to deal with that one. And by faith, we take Jesus at his word. All these things that Jesus said would happen have happened. All the things he says are going to happen, there are things that 
we look at now and say, you know, because of what we're seeing today, what he's prophesying in the future seems to make sense. It seems like it's going to happen, and that's what we want to do this morning. If we believe he's coming back, we believe these things are going to occur, what's happening today that will make the future look like, yeah, that, that looks like it's a possibility. That could actually happen. That's what we want to do. So I'll tell you what I want to do today is uh, we're going to talk about what is the tribulation quickly, um, what happens during the tribulation, and again, I am not going to get into detail. You'll have to read Revelation for yourself, the, the Revelation for yourself, um, because there's so many details in that. Um, I, I might do this on a Thursday night. I'm, I'm still contemplating it, um, of doing an end times thing from Daniel and through Revelation, literally going through all of the, the book of Revelation. Uh, it's just a really long uh, Bible study, so I'm always a little bit nervous to do it. I've done it before. Uh, so we might do that uh, coming up, but we're going to do some kind of hitting the high points of the tribulation and what happens, and then how does the tribulation end. Before I do that, though, I really feel like I need to give a shout-out to our tech team, um, especially those that work the computer. Uh, they, they have to try to follow me every week, and I, I just... I pray for them specifically because they have to try to do that. Uh, there's a lot of slides in this, and, and I'm not necessarily the easiest one to follow. I have notes, but that's just kind of a, yeah, maybe, you know, type of thing. If I get lost, maybe I'll go back to my notes. Um, so anyways, and if you want to be a part of our tech team, it's where you really know Jesus because you have to deal with me um, and praying for me and praying through your frustration with me. But anyways, um, we love having a part of the team. If you're into computers soundboard, setups. Uh, if you're creative and you want to somehow take our, our uh, stage area or our church and kind of help us um, make it so when people walk into the church, they, they kind of start getting an idea of what the series is about. You know, we kind of need some creative people. Um, I am not creative, so um, I didn't even come up with these things. So somebody else said, well, why don't you put a couple of you know, lighting trusses up? Hey, that, that sounds like a cool idea. I couldn't even come up with that. So, All right, so what is, what is the tribulation? What are we talking about when we talk about the tribulation? Uh, next one. There you go. So what is the tribulation? It's a seven-year period of unprecedented worldwide devastation. And here's some passages in, in the Bible that kind of give us an idea of what that is. So first of all, it's the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy out of Daniel 9. Again, if you've missed any weeks... You have to go back to the podcast or up on Facebook and catch the other weeks because way too much for me to try to explain that for you now. But seventh week of Daniel's prophecy, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, like nothing the world's ever seen or will see. So it's just crazy devastation. Uh, Revelation 3, it's a time of God's testing and discipline on the world. And in Romans 11, Paul talks about it's, it's God's return to begin to fulfill his promises to the Old Testament to the Jews that he made in the Old Testament. Um, again, we're, we've been talking about the church age, and so here we are in this church age where it's a time of the Gentiles or non-Jews coming to Christ, and then we believe the rapture occurs, and God returns to working with Israel and fulfilling the promises that he made to them. So, that's quickly what that is. Uh, so how does it, what's happening during the tribulation period? Again, I'm not going to get into full detail here, but um, it starts out sometime 
around the beginning. We, you know, obviously we don't have specifics. So the church is raptured at some point, um, and there's, there's also this battle of what they call Gog and Magog. Now, the battle of Gog and Magog, kind of interesting uh, names, I know, but that's the name God gives them. Um, and it's mentioned twice in the Bible. One is in Ezekiel, and the other one is in Revelation. They're two different uh, battles. So the first one, is, uh, which was in Ezekiel, is going to happen at the beginning, somewhere at the beginning period of the tribulation, Gog and Magog. And it's, uh, it's the, the nations to the north and some surrounding nations are going to come together and they're going to come against Israel and Jerusalem specifically. In Revelation, he's talking about Gog and Magog in the sense of those who come against God at the end of, um, end of time are going to do that with the same attitude as those from Gog and Magog. So that's one reason we believe they're mentioning that twice. But anyway, so we have Gog and Magog, uh, a battle that's going to take place, enemies of Israel, a nation from the north, and some other surrounding nations are going to join together. So, so what are the current events that are kind of leading up to this? Prior to 1948, Israel was not a country. They had been, and then back, you know, 400 and something B.C., whatever, you know, whatever, I can't remember the dates off the top of my head now, but they were taken into captivity, and some of them came back over time. But when Jesus came around, there was, a, there was Jews living in a land, and they had some sort of, um, it was more of a Jew, uh, religious um, governing, I guess you'd say, but they were overseen by Rome. They've always been overseen by other nations. But in 1948, as many of you know, they became a nation. So prior to 1948, people would read this passage and you go, doesn't make any sense. There's, Israel's not a nation, so how would these people, these nations come against Israel? Well, 1948, boom. Now they're a nation. Today, what's happening is many nations are now recognizing Jerusalem as the capital. It was Tel Aviv, then, you know, in a, in a lot of um, U.S. presidents were saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to make Jerusalem, we're going to recognize Jerusalem, and they didn't, they didn't. Trump comes along, he does. And there are, I don't know how many other nations have done that now, where they're recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Again, years ago, up until three years ago, people were being like, well, why would he come against Jerusalem? It's not the capital. Well, more and more nations are looking at it as the capital. And then, go back, and then Russia and the Islamic states, or nations, they're the ones surrounding Israel, and they're desiring Israel's defeat. Again, prior to this, no nation. Today, a nation. The nation to the north, we believe, is Russia. The nations surrounding them have now become Islamic nations over these last few years. 100 years or so, whatever. And they've become um, government powers in those nations. And they're politically connected with Russia, and it's all for the defeat of Israel. That's, they're calling for defeat of Russia, or of, uh, of Israel. And so there's that connecting point for them there. All right, so that's kind of some current events that could say, okay, Gog, Magog, that sounds like something that could actually happen. We've got nations surrounding Israel that hate them, and now Israel has Jerusalem as its capital. Right? 
Then, after that, or around that time, or maybe because of that battle, again, we don't know, we're kind of speculate, speculating, the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel, and there's a revived Roman Empire that is developed. These are the ten nations that were predicted in Daniel's prophecy. Uh, Paul talks about this man who comes to power in 2 Thessalonians 2, and it sounds very similar to the Antichrist, the one who we talked about in Daniel, and that Jesus talked about. So you have this, this one rising to power, you have this ten nations coming together, so what's happening today that that sounds like could very easily happen. Here's some current things we got going on. Everyone knows about the United Nations, right? So the United Nations was developed to kind of bring all the nations together, and, it, and it's constantly pushing to become a governing body. And, and, and so in the world, there are those, many people, who are looking at the United Nations as the one who should be controlling things, you know, encouraging things, and even there are some in our own government who look to the United Nations for direction on what they should be doing uh, as it pertains to voting and that kind of stuff. We have the United uh, European Union. There's 20-plus countries right now, but again, the, the revived Roman uh, Empire is going to be there in Rome, you know, Italy and Europe. And so however they may flesh out in the future, there's 20 now, it could drop down to 10. You know, England is trying to get out uh, of it, but we have that. World financial markets, they're all tied together. If... Um, if the stock market in one country starts going down, all the other countries start going down. If it goes up, all the other countries go up. There's, there's a bunch of you know, connection points there when it comes to finances. And that's just, you know, that's some government agencies involved in that. And then there's some other places that are just private businesses, but it's all kind of tied together. And then this is, a, this is one that's really interesting because this has become a huge debate around the world, including in... United States. Politicians, religious and business leaders, they're pushing for this globalism over nationalism. And, and what that is, is this. Nationalism, though some are trying to make it sound like it's Hitler nationalism, it's not. Nationalism, politically, is just saying, we need to look out for our own interests as a country. We've got to make sure that we're protecting ourselves, you know, border security, financially, not looking to everybody else to tell us what to do, but we're going to go ahead and take care of ourselves. And then you have globalism that says, we need to do all this. All these nations need to come together and work together on all this stuff. We need to be concerned about humankind, not just about our own group of people within our, our borders. And so we have this huge battle going on throughout the world, including here in the United States, on this. And it's kind of interesting. Um, so the, the Pontifical Academy of Social Services, here in May 2019, so this week, I just went up and I started looking through news stuff and saying, okay, so where are we at on this? And, and the only reason um, I'm picking this because it just it really, it really states it. Um, the Pope it was at this place. He made some interesting statements too, but I'm only going to give you this one because I, of basically of time. It says this. So they make this statement prior to this conference that they're going to have as to what the Catholic Church wants to be kind of focusing on and um, encouraging as, um, as a religion, as a church. It says this, challenges like ecology, particularly climate change, human trafficking, energy, defense. Defense, you know, I mean, human trafficking, you know, great, that we had to come together on that. But energy, defense, 
Regulation of globalized economy cannot be dealt with by competing sovereign national states alone. That's nationalism. The European Union is an example of what could become of a supranational, which means nations joining together as one, uh, state with precise and limited sovereignty in matters of European common good. And so the, the, the Catholic Church is even saying, this is an important thing to do. We're concerned about climate change. We're concerned about defense. We're concerned about, you know, they keep talking about immigrants and, and, and all that because they're having the same issue in Europe that we have here with people coming into their countries looking for safety and for jobs and, and all that kind of stuff. And so um, it's just kind of an interesting statement that they're making that that's what's important to them. So that's what's kind of get things going. The, the um, tribulation is split up into two halves. So you have the first three and a half years, you have the second three and a half years. So that's how things kind of get going and what happens in the first three and a half years. So you have, um, you go ahead and click to it. So you have Israel sacrificing the temple. You have 144,000 Jewish witnesses and you have two witnesses. And at the same time, the seal and trumpet judgments are happening. So all in this first three and a half years, you got a bunch of stuff going on. So again, Israel is practicing Judaism in their temple. What's interesting about that is, we look at it today and say, how can that happen? There's no temple in Israel. In fact, there's a, um, a Muslim mosque sitting on the site that most people believe is where the temple should be. So how is that going to happen? Well, if we understand the, the battle of Gog and Magog to be what it is, and you have Russia teaming up with a bunch of Muslim states, God comes and destroys them, which is what happens, then they don't have much power anymore. And so while all that's going on, somebody rises up in the Europe area who's representing the countries of the world and saying, hey, listen, I've got a plan for how we can bring peace to all this. What if we go ahead, since the, since the Muslims won't have the power they once had, why don't we just take that off the mount and put the temple on there and call Jerusalem all of you know, the capital? Again, don't know, but we've seen things prior to 1948 that we didn't think were going to happen, and now we have some things that could potentially happen with that. So we have uh, the seal judgments. With the seal judgments, as that's going on, uh, Revelation talks about horse and rider. So each of these seal judgments are a horse and rider, is how it's illustrated. Let me back up real quick. So um, the Apostle John is given a vision okay, by God. He's having a conversation um, with Jesus, and he's also, um, there's other heavenly beings that are telling him things and showing him things. But here's a guy in the first century who's looking into our future, so he knows nothing about electricity, right? He doesn't know anything about cars. He certainly doesn't know anything about tanks. doesn't know anything about helicopters. He doesn't know anything about what we currently have going. So he's trying to, in his first century verbiage, come up with what he's seeing. That's why this is so like, man, I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Like, for instance, there's a part where some um, things come out of the abyss and they have helmets of metal and they're shooting fire out of their mouths and well, they could be talking about tanks, right? Um, it could be talking about helicopters because there's wasps or locusts that fly over and uh, destroy things. It could be talking about helicopters. Again, so a lot of what we're talking about here seems strange 
but from a first century standpoint. So he's talking about his horse and rider, and he says, and each one has different things. So they're dispensing uh, persecution and wars and famine, death, terror among people due to earthquakes. There's earthquakes going on. Uh, there's extended eclipses which darken the sun and make the moon look like blood. The stars fall from the sky. Could be, you know, space junk. Could be satellites. So if, if you think of it this way, if, if we start losing power on Earth, what's going to keep our, you know, our stuff floating up in the air? Right? We already have some satellites coming down from time to time. Well, that could easily be happening Land masses, it says, will be dislodged and disappear. Imagine, imagine what happens when we see a hurricane or a tsunami hit someplace. Now imagine that happening all over the world at the same time. One after another after another. It would bring chaos to the world. The trumpet judgments. It says a third of the earth, trees, and grasses will be burnt up. A third, which around here would be really nice, by the way, because... Poor Mike, he keeps getting the zero turn stuck. Um, if we could get this burnt off out here, it might be good for us because our grass is growing pretty long. Um, large objects fall from the sky and turn a third of the sea to blood. And that blood is probably the blood of animals and humans that are on the seas. A third of sea creatures die. There's the blood. A third of ships destroyed. Now, um, I didn't look up today, but back in 2009, there was over 32,000 ships registered, shipping ships, which means over 10,000 would be destroyed in one fell swoop. And all the people on it, all the product on them would go to the bottom of the sea. So now we're talking financial ruin. It says um, a third of the fresh water will be contaminated. Worldwide we're talking. A third of the sun's energy will be lost. A third of mankind dies from plagues. And there's a 200 million man army that's preparing to descend upon Israel. So that's what's happening in the first half of the tribulation with these judgments. There's 144,000 Jewish believers. God's going to raise up and supernaturally protect 144,000 Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And they're going to go out and they're going to evangelize the world. And so we believe then there'll be other people coming to Christ, which will be the ones that the that the uh, Antichrist will be persecuting. There's going to be two witnesses. And it says that they're going to be performing miracles um, in, in the, the time, 1260 days, the first half of the, of the tribulation. They're going to be performing miracles. There's going to be people trying to kill them. And it says that they're going to be able to destroy those people with fire from their mouths. You know, again, so I don't know what that, you know, John's looking at it, first century. I'm thinking, bad breath, you know, I, I don't know. Um, kidding. So I, I don't know what that means. But these guys are going to be performing miracles, and um, there's you know debate as to who they are. Um, there's some Old Testament uh, people who never died according to Scripture, so people think maybe they're going to come back to life. But after 1260 days, God's going to allow them to be killed by the Antichrist. The entire world is going to see this happen, and it's going to be like Christmas. They're going to give gifts to each other, which is weird. You know, hey, so-and-so, you guys see, you see that uh, the two witnesses over there died? Yeah, yeah, well, here's a gift. It seems kind of weird, um, but they're excited about having it happen. And then after three and a half days, they're going to rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. It's kind of interesting that Revelation says, 
there's a voice who says, come up here. And they just rise. So what's going on today uh, that we can look at and say, okay, well, this sounds possible. There's no temple in Israel, like I was saying. But Israel has everything needed to build and to sacrifice, including the red heifers, the, the cows and the bulls and all that that they were gonna, they're going to kill. They have that. Uh, I, I didn't do more research on it, but I read years ago that there's actually a place in Minnesota that um, some of Israelites have um, asked to, to raise them. Um, so they have everything they need to do that. Amas is currently, uh, currently sits on the temple site. But a weakened Islam, due to a loss, that could easily happen where they just don't have any more fight in them. Um, and so they allow the peace treaty to happen. The Antichrist then could allow them to build a temple. It could, have, it could happen before. We don't know, but certainly that's going to happen. And then, secondly, the death of the two witnesses seen worldwide. Well, you know, back in the 40s, this would have been like, what? Maybe even the 50s and 60s, but pretty soon we started having television, and we started having computers now we have today, and today we have the internet, and we have, you know, we can go up and watch anything we want worldwide while it happens. So that, that's a no-brainer, that that could easily happen, and we could see people, um, we could see these two witnesses die worldwide. Well then after the death and resurrection and ascension of two witnesses, the Antichrist comes after Israel, and he initiates what we've been talking about, this big end times event called the abomination of desolation. It's the desecration of the Jewish temple. It happens at the midpoint of, um, of the tribulation. So at the three and a half year point, this happens. It's, again, the phrases that it uses is three and a half years, 42 months, uh, 1260 days. All different descriptions of it throughout scripture, but it talks about this kind of time frame. And right at that point, what initiates that is the Antichrist puts an end to sacrifices in the temple. He sits in the temple and says, everybody worship me. That's the abomination of desolation. Okay? He's desecrated the temple. God is the one who's supposed to be worshipped. And he's not being worshipped by Israel. But, um, but now he's standing up saying, everybody should worship me. He goes after the 144,000 Jews, uh, Jewish believers. Um, and, and I'm sure other Jewish believers potentially at that point, and he comes after them, but then God supernaturally protects them out in the wilderness so that he can't get to them. He's going to obviously go after other Christians, but they're going to be protected. Then the false prophet initiates what a lot of people have heard about, the mark of the beast, where nobody can buy and sell without a mark on their hand or their forehead. So how... Is that possible? That doesn't make any sense to people prior to just a few years ago. So on, the le- on your right, my left, is a microchip that's implanted in someone's hand. It's in the fatty part of your, of your hand. Well, my fatty part. I don't know about you guys, if you have fat on your hands, that's I do. So it's implanted there. And this guy over here, I think I have a quote. So this guy over here is demonstrating what they do in Sweden at this guy's place. Do I have that, Renee? Is that a, a quote next? No? You sure it's not there? 
Can you go back one? Back one? Back one? Oh, I'm so, it's, are you serious? It's not in there? Oh, I deleted off my notes because I thought I had it in my slides. Mm. Anyways, so I'll try to, so they interviewed this, I, I'm not sure if this is the same guy, but they interviewed um, this guy in Sweden, uh, Frisk was his last name. And what they did is, where the apartment complex where he lives, they all got together and had a chipping party. And they put chips, they got chips implanted in their hands. And now they don't have to worry about anything to get into their building. They just put their hand up on it and opens the door and they can go in. And they were just talking about how great that is. In fact, one of the ladies who works or lives there at her place of employment, they do the same thing. And so she's excited about that. It makes life so much easier. And when she goes to different... Um, conferences and stuff, she can put her hand up to a phone and the phone will take all of her LinkedIn information. So she goes, it's just wonderful. That way they don't misspell your name. Believe me, her name was really kind of strange, so it could easily be misspelled. But all that information just right into the phone. You know, so again, mark of the beast, it's supposed to be in the hand or in the forehead. What's happening today? And there's an American company um, see if I have that in my notes. Um, yeah, Three Square Market, 32M, CEO Todd Westby. Uh, it's the first American company who's doing it. It's a, he said it's the next thing that's inevitably going to happen, and we want to be part of it. We're excited, you know, about being able to do that. And, and the, let me back up. The stuff that I'm talking about here, like these people aren't like um, Antichrist people, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're not like going, I want to follow the Antichrist. They're just doing things naturally that would make life easier. But what I'm saying is, all that stuff happening could easily then be used in the wrong way. And so, um, in this case, very easily could happen. So the Antichrist has full control of people's lives. What's going to happen for the last three and a half years? What's that going to look like? Uh, some describe this as the great tribulation. It's the worst of the worst. There's anticip- uh, intensified persecutions going on. Uh, um, I think I got, do I have something else to this? I'm messing Renee up. I feel so bad. Um, so it's an intensified persecution by Antichrist. Also, God's judgments are happening, the bold judgments. And the bold judgments, plagues of mali- mali- yeah, malignant sores. Again, pastors who have speech impediments, not always a good combination. Uh, plagues of malignant sores on those with the mark of the beast are going to be happening. Everything in the sea dies. So whatever hasn't died yet, all of it will die. The, all the sea creatures, some that we know about and some that are still being discovered, will die. What happens when they die? Blow to the top, right? At least for initially. Um, the rest of the fresh water is contaminated. The sun re-energizes and scorches the earth and people. And then the Euphrates River dries up. So three and a half years of intensified persecution by the Antichrist, coupled with the death that's happening from God's judgments, and then it finally comes to an end with the seventh and final bold judgment. The seventh bold judgment is Jesus' second coming. So he's going to come to earth and end the tribulation period and he's bringing those of us from the church age with him. And this is how John describes it out of Revelation. 
It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John 1.1 1, 1 talks about Jesus being the Word, the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, that's Christians. Kind of cool, we get to be, well, we're going to be riding horses. We're not really going to be fighting because Jesus will take care of it. But whatever the case, we'll be on horses, which is kind of cool because I kind of like doing that. Uh, we're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God. So you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized. Talking about Jesus now. Jesus seizes the beast and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two men, or these two, were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. The final bold judgment, from what Scripture tells us, is Jesus Christ coming back to the earth. And then what appears to be Christians from the church age who had been raptured, coming with him. Again, we watch a movie, and this is all really cool looking, right? But Scripture's saying that this is going to happen. Again, John from the first century is trying to describe for us what that's going to look like. But make no mistake about it, when Jesus returns, it's going to be obvious. And those who oppose him and oppose those who have put their faith in him during the tribulation, are going to experience his wrath. He's going to experience, they're going to experience defeat. Faith is not believing in God, it's believing God. And God says these things are going to happen. Jesus told us a lot of things, and they happened. We've heard some other things that, as we look now as what's going on in our world, could seem to happen. There were things talked about in the Old Testament that have happened. So what's to say these things in the future will not happen? And for us to not even consider it, it is pretty unwise because of all that God has given us, in spite of how incredible it might be to our minds. So what do we do with this? How do we end this? I'm going to end this in a, maybe in a way that you're not even thinking. <laughs> so what are some takeaways? I'm going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but I want to kind of kick this off today. So if all this is going to happen, if we believe what God says, 
What do we do today? What are, what are we going to be focusing on today, Monday morning, for instance? Who are we going to tell? I asked this last week. What people in your life don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who in your life do you need to be praying for, setting up and developing a, a relationship with them, a friendship with them, where you can have these kind of spiritual conversations, answer their questions, ease their concern, uh, right their wrong thinking on things. But then there's always a question, how do we do that? Like, What are, what are some things we can do to do that? I think sometimes we kind of get stuck on that. So this is why we're going to talk about today, and then we're going to also uh, work towards this for the summer. We've done this before. Organize a neighborhood barbecue. Everybody likes to eat. Everybody likes to hang out. So send out invitations to your neighbors and say, hey, come over to the house. We're going to have a, a barbecue Saturday night, whatever, at the house, and have your neighbors come over. You'll probably get three or four, maybe more, would come over. Uh, we're working on this with our neighbors because uh, two years ago, we missed last year. It just didn't happen. But two years ago, we had an ice cream making party at our house, and the neighbors came over. We got to meet some new neighbors. Um, and one of the ladies last week who placed her faith in Christ was at uh, the Kyos barbecue last year. Um, and, and then we'll talk again, like I said, more about this. But what I'd love to see is for families commit to do that and some other families to come alongside of them and kind of co-host with them so they can focus on their neighbors. And then the co-host will make sure all the food's getting taken care of. You know, invite your friends, tell them to bring some, um, you know, food with them, side dish. If it's a financial thing, you're like, I don't think we can afford it. Let, just give us the cost and the, your church family will come around you and we'll pay for the, the main course. You know, if you guys have you know, hamburgers or whatever you're going to do, we'll pay for that. We have the Grace Food Baskets. Uh, they're sitting out here. Uh, we've had a number of people do that. And it's just, as you see people in your life, neighbors, coworkers, that kind of thing, that are struggling financially, uh, one of the ways we can help them is to give them a week's worth of food and they can then take that money and put it towards their bills. But we got the basket. Give them the whole basket. Got some information about our church and a place for them. And just say, hey, listen, this is what our church is all about. We'd love to have you come be a part of our church too and just have a church family around you and helping you. But here's a gift from our church to you. And then uh, something we're developing right now is called a crisis care package uh, for those going through uh, tragedy. So one of the things that's kind of hit me since moving back here, and I've seen it elsewhere too, but I just in this frame of mind right now, we've had several families who have experienced um, children committing suicide or uh, the girl I talked about last week who was at um, Stadium Road in Navarre who was hit and killed, and then also the person involved in the accident, you know, who caused that or anyways, didn't necessarily cause it, I don't know the situation, but who lived, that person has to deal with that as well. And so I thought to myself, how, do, how does our church family get into the community and be able to be the hands and feet of Christ. You know, too often churches, we've talked about this, too often churches say, hey, come to our church, come to our church, come to our church, come to our church, but we never do anything for them. We want them to do stuff for us, in other words, come to our church. What, what are we going to do that's Jesus-esque? And so I thought, man, if there's a way that we could graciously, kindly, with compassion, give them what, you know, call them a crisis care package, and we've talked about what could be in there, but you know, maybe a little, some baked goods, no, no big casseroles, okay, because one, they probably couldn't eat it all, but 
you know, just a little some baked goods, some food, um, some like restaurant gift cards, so they don't have to worry about going out and eating. They can kind of get stuff and bring it home and just kind of work through the process. Um, and then our, you know, a card in there from our church saying, hey, you know, we're just we're praying for you, and if there's anything we can do to help you. So then somebody from our church will deliver that to those people and uh, just hopefully somehow encourage them. So um, some of you know about this already. I've already talked to you about it, but that's a couple things that we want to do because we believe what's going to happen is going to happen. <laughs> we want to see people come to Christ and have a relationship with God and miss all that and be able to spend eternity with him. Sound good? Everyone's on board? Yes, that's what we need to be doing, right? Okay, nice. I heard a yes. Excellent. Let's go ahead and stand, and I'll close in prayer.